You are listening to the Life Church Podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Kathy Peternell. I'm Kathy Peternell, and I have the privilege of being the kind of the leader of our, our pastoral care teams here in the church, and Pastor Gentry is also with us, and, and we have a wonderful group of lay people who are also wanting to be there for you when you have challenges. And, and whether that's because of illness or hospitals or just family situations going on, we're here for you. But we can't be here for you if you don't let us know what's going on. So we would ask that you do that, that you're not afraid to, to contact the office or to contact me to let us know what's going on in your life so we can come alongside. It's a, it's a privilege to have that opportunity. I'm also, I'm also the director of our senior life ministry, which we call Legacy. And that's for those that are 55 and above, so we want to encourage you. We're going to be having a luncheon coming up this month. You'll be getting more information by next Sunday. We're also going to be having a bus trip that's going to be going to uh, Clifty Falls and Madison. And it's not just for our 55 and above folks. It's for anyone who wants to join us. So there will be more information coming out on that. That's my commercials, except for our our bumper, and it's called the Shadow King. And what we have right now is we're living in the shadow, we're teaching in the shadow of David's great sin. That's what we've been speaking about in the last couple of weeks. And you know, um, it's interesting, one of my favorite programs is When Calls the Heart. And one of the ways they start out their program is previously. And they begin to tell you a little bit about what's happened previous to that particular portion that they're going to share. Well, that's what I have to do with you today. Previously, because we have to go back and and look at a time in David's life where he had come to the epitome. The epitome. That sweet place where he had tremendous uh, influence, he had conquered, he actually conquered everything that God promised to Abraham. He had all of that territory. People were were in obedience to him. He had had everything going well. (laughs) But you know, whenever there's success everywhere, that's the time when the enemy has the greatest opportunity to create uh, situations that'll catch us up. And David became complacent. Instead of going out to to war like he always did in the spring, he decided to stay home. He decided that, let somebody else do it. Boy, will that ever get you in trouble. Don't ever let that be something that when you have been gifted with something that you can do, say, let somebody else do it. I'm determined as long as God gives me breath to do what I do and not let somebody else do it until it's time. Now I'm preparing people to do it, but we need to keep in the fight. We need to keep in the battle. But nonetheless, in this situation, 
we see that David ended up committing adultery. He saw a beautiful woman bathing. We know that he took her. He happened to be one of his best soldier's wives. Nothing like that. Betray friends. He took her. She ends up getting pregnant. Scripture tells us how he tried to cover up. And you know, if you go back to the garden, you saw with Adam and Eve, they saw, they desired, they took, and they hid. And that's the very same pattern that we see in the life of David. He saw. He had a desire that was outside of the bounds for him. He took her, and then he had to develop a plan on how to hide the sin that he had committed. She's pregnant, and her husband's out in battle. God knows how to catch us in those places where we deliberately do what we ought not to do. And God did that when he sent, and I love that, the Lord sent Nathan, who was a prophet. The Lord sent a man that was able to tell a story that could get into David's heart probably better than anything. He told a story about a lamb, <laughs> about, a shepherd, about a man who had one little lamb. Now, what had David been? He had been a shepherd. Did anyone know about lambs? He sure did. He knew what it was like to hold those precious little lambs. He knew how cute they were. He, he knew how you could get attached. And he used that story to actually, or Nathan used that story to actually cause David to react in a way that condemned David's own malicious actions. God knows how to use people. Jesus used many stories, didn't he? To be able to get into the hearts of people that he could deliver a message that would really get to them. And so God used Nathan in that manner. David became very angry. He proclaimed that that man ought to die. Now we know that the real thing that had to happen when something like that, when someone stole a sheep, they had to replace four in place of that sheep. There was nothing about dying. But you see, when David took Uriah's wife, he committed adultery, which would cause death. That was what was demanded for the sin of adultery. And David pronounced something more on someone who did something less than him. And we know that Nathan came along and he goes, David, you're that man. You're that man. Let's just ask the Lord now to take what was said to him after that and what are the outcomes of, or the consequences now of the things that came as a result of David's sin. Shall we pray? Lord, it's your word again. I'm not talking from my perspective. I'm bringing you like Nathan brought to David your word. And I pray that today you'll speak to us. 
never to condemn us, never to give us to lose hope, but Lord, the things that we see about this difficult portion of scripture, Lord, may they be things that encourage us that now that this thing has happened, where do we go from here? Help us to see that you're the God of all hope, that you forgive, but Lord, there are many times consequences of the things that we do that you have to allow to happen. Help us today to see your word and to grow by it and to find freedom in it. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. In 2 Samuel 12, verses nine through 12, we see that these were part of the words that David brought or that, that uh, Nathan brought to David, excuse me. It says, why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Amorites. You didn't do it directly, but you set it up. So it's just as if you did it. And you've stolen his wife, stolen his wife. For this time, from this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Because of what you have done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes, and, I will go, and he will go to bed with them in public view. You did it secretly but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all Israel. Sin has its own judgments, doesn't it? Sin has its own judgments. We will see as we go on that God forgives him, but there are consequences. There is a law of sow and reap. I'm a farm girl. I learned that principle. That when you plant one kernel of corn, you get a whole stock with several ears. I teased my husband because he was a bit of a rascal before we got married. And um, I said, Lord, if the law of sow and reap comes into play, I'm praying for crop failure. <laughs> crop failure. And I don't think there's anything wrong with praying for crop failure. I think in a sense, that's what David is, does a little later on. He prays for crop failure, even though some of those consequences still remain. The scripture says that by the, the standard that we judge, we're going to be judged, sow and reap. It's interesting that the Sodom, the people of Sodom burned with lust and what did God allow to happen? Fire to fall from heaven on them, right? Think about Jacob. Jacob went and he deceived his brother. Remember, they killed a kid and they put the skin of, of that, that kid on him so he would pretend to be his brother. Do you know that later on, they used the blood of a kid to deceive him by putting jo Joseph's coat into that blood and making him to believe that his son was dead. Law of sow and reap. Pharaoh. If <laughs> Pharaoh, 
What did he do? He killed all the male children, didn't he, of the Israelites. And what did God allow to happen? He allowed a killing of all of the firstborn in all of his, his country. And then later on, his whole army to be destroyed. You can't get away from some of this. It's just there. Agag, you remember Agag? We, re we learned about that earlier in 1 Samuel. He was that, that king that Saul allowed to live, and, and he had caused many women to be barren because he would slice women who were pregnant, just slice them open. What did David, or what did uh, Samuel do to Agag, do you remember? He took him and hacked him to pieces and said, now your mother will be childless. So in reap. Proverbs tells us in Proverbs 13, or 15, verse 3, the Lord is watching everywhere, keeping his eyes on both the evil and the good. And the scripture tells us in Galatians, don't be deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. So what is this telling us? There are circumstances, there are, are consequences to the things that we do. David said in, the, in 2 Samuel 12, verses 13 and 14, this was the final portion of last week's portion. It says, and David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you. Well, wait a minute, David, you should die for what you've done. But what does it go on to say? Nevertheless, because you have shown utter, utter contempt for the Lord by doing this, your child will die. Oh, that's hard, isn't it? God forgave David, but the, the penalty for adultery was death. And someone had to pay for that. I look at that, and as you may look at that, and say, boy, that's, that's really hard. But the moral character of God being a God who is just. And when we talk about just, we're talking about justice, right? There are certain things that are just justice for the things that we do. We are people that go out and we, we speed down the highway. And uh, we, might, we might be forgiven of the factor that we could have done such a thing, but we might pay a fine. We may do things that cause other people harm. We just looked at 9-11. How many innocent people died because of the sin of another? We can't get away from this. You have suffered things because of the sins of other people. All of us are victims in some way or another of things coming upon us as a result of someone else's failure. 
It's especially hurtful when we see children suffering. And I think about many who work in social work and what they see coming out of homes and what they see these children having endured by sinful parents, by parents who didn't care, did their own thing, satisfied themselves. It's interesting that it would be cruelty. Now, once you think about this, it would be cruelty if there was not a judgment on wrong. What happens when there is, when things look like they're being gotten away with? People begin to do more and more evil, right? It's what we're seeing in our nation. It's God's kindness to allow things to happen as a result of men's sin to be a deterrent so that we don't go that way again. When we look at this portion of scripture, it says, after David returned to his home, the Lord, look at that, and this is, this is 2 Samuel 12, 15. The Lord sent a deadly illness to the child of David and Uriah's wife. Did you notice something that I've seen as I've read through this portion? Bathsheba is mentioned in chapter 11, first, as the wife of Uriah. But every time after that that she's referred to, she's referred to as Uriah's wife. Hadn't David taken her for his wife? But God didn't see it that way yet. Because there was not a repentant attitude in David's heart that needed to actually come through this portion that we're looking at right now. Do you know that even in the genealogy of Matthew, when it gives the genealogy of Jesus, do you know that it refers to Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah? That's interesting, isn't it? That it carries on that far. Adultery and sexual immorality, whether it's actual or it's visual. Once you hear that, whether it's actual or it's visual, is considered theft. Why is it considered theft? Because it takes that which really belongs to another. Interesting. The scripture says. You answered them, this is in Psalm 99. You answered them, O our God. You were to them a God who forgives, though you took vengeance on their deed. The golden calf, did God forgive them? Yes. Were there consequences? Yes. 
They ground up that golden calf and threw it in the water, and many people died as a result of drinking that water. Moses and Aaron failed to represent God's holiness when, they, when Moses struck the rock. Was there forgiveness? Do we think that, that Moses and Aaron went to heaven? I think so. But they didn't go to the promised land. There were consequences. And the book of Ezra, Ezra chapter 9, says this. Now we have been punished because of our wickedness and our great guilt, but it actually has been less than we deserve. I believe that with all my heart, that God punishes us less than we really deserve. What do we deserve? We deserve to die. And what did he do? And we'll we'll see it more, but he sent Jesus, (laughs) who took our penalty in relationship to forgiveness. This act is a direct act of God. God caused this child to be sick and to die. It's disturbing. It's not what we want to hear. But how often, as I said before, do innocent people actually suffer under the sin of others? So this is not an unusual thing. And nothing hurts us more than we, when we see somebody love, that we love suffering because of something we did. And think about David. He's a mighty warrior. He's seen all kinds of death, but boy, this one's getting to him. Because here now, there's innocence. It says that David begged God to spare the child. Find that in verse 16. He went without food and lay all night on a bare ground. And the elders of his household pleaded with him to get up and eat with them, but he refused. You know, I looked at this portion, I thought, I remember somewhere else that we've studied in the book of Samuel. That when he had sinned, he went to the witch of Endor, you remember? And there was communication from Samuel as to what was actually going to happen. And he was on the ground and he was before the Lord. And, and what, did the, what did the friends seem to do? They, they encouraged him to get up and to eat. Sometimes we've got to let people, when they are struggling under the, the pain of their sin, down on their face before God. We want to make everything better. But God doesn't always want to make everything better. We need to be in that place. And and here's David. He's on his face, and no matter who was trying to get him to get up and eat, he wasn't going to. And and it says, was it, you know, I look at this and I think, well, was it wrong for David to plead for that child when he already knew what God said was going to happen? And I want to say yes. Is it wrong for us when we realize that that this world is just going to be awful? Things are going to go really awful 
We know that's going to happen. But does that mean we stop praying just because we know those things are going to happen? Or could we be an instrument that thwarts maybe the time associated that that might happen? Perhaps, I love that, perhaps God will be merciful. So we need to be people that are praying for the Lord to, to... work in the situations in our schools and in our country and and, and, and in the things that are happening around our world. We need to be praying. We need to be fasting. We need to be seeking the face of God because we don't know what God might do. When I looked at this, I thought about how many times in the scripture I looked up the portion that says God repented. How many times were there things that God was going to do and then he chose not to do it because somebody got on their face before God? Or somebody repented. And you think about Moses. Remember, God was ready to wipe those people out. God on his face before God. And he was merciful. And then you think about Hezekiah. And Isaiah comes in and says, Get your house in order because you're going to die. And Hezekiah turns his face toward the Lord and he pleads. And the scripture tells us that, that Isaiah didn't even get out of, the, out of the palace. He had to turn around and come back and said, God's going to give you 15 more years. So we don't know what God will do. And to do nothing, there will always be the question in our heart. Did we miss it? Could something have changed? In Psalm 51, it says, David is actually, this is a psalm that's written after David's great sin with Bathsheba. It says, for I recognized my rebellion. It haunted me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. And I want to say, David, you didn't get it yet. What was David saying? Oh, it's against you, Lord, and you only have I sinned. I believe this situation with this child was God's way of showing David. (laughs) It isn't just against me you've sinned. What are God's sacrifices that he longs for in us? A broken spirit a broken and a contrite heart. So what came out of this illness for this child? We find that David sought God, didn't he? He had been out of fellowship with God, we believe, for at least a year. Maybe even a little more to get him in the situation he was in. But he was out of fellowship with God. This brought him to a place where he had to to come before the Lord. These were ordained distresses. (laughs) You ever found yourself in any ordained distresses in your life? I have. And it also caused him to have compassion. What did he do? He sought the Lord for the child. What had been missing 
this whole couple chapters we've been talking about David's compassion. He's having people killed. And it wasn't just Uriah, it was many others that suffered under the failures of his sin. And what did he do? It says that he got before the Lord, he prayed and he fasted and he wept. Now, I know that most people, when they talk about fasting, it's an idea of, of, well, I'll just give up something. That's not the biblical picture of fasting. It was food. It was something that when you don't eat, there's something happens in your body and you hurt. The purpose of fasting was to cut away from the natural. And I, I want to bring this to you, that, that prayer and fasting are not tools to, to put a, a, a stranglehold on God. Too many people say, well, if I do this, God will do. He has to do. No, he doesn't have to do anything. But prayer and fasting is rather to get us to become people who submit ourselves to God so we can hear. To get ourselves in a place where God can talk to us. And it's for coming to a place that he can give us the strength that if he says no, we don't quit. Psalm 119, verses 6 and 7, says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. We've had children. A child that is not disciplined will do the same thing over and over again, right? We need to be afflicted at times for the things that we do, I would say most times, so that we don't do it again. We've got to relearn, don't we? And it says also in verse 71, my sufferings are good for me for they taught me to pay attention to your word. I love something Spurgeon, great preacher, said, says, I learned to kiss the waves that threw me against the rock of ages. Oh, did you hear that? I learned to kiss the waves, the waves that threw me against the rock of ages. David had to relearn what it was to be an overcomer. goes on in verse 18 to say, then on the seventh day the child died. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I mean, I prayed. I fasted. I wept before the Lord. And I love this. It says, and on the seventh day. Now, that doesn't mean it was the seventh day of the child's age. It's seven days since Nathan came and told him that. What's seven? It's a day of completion, isn't it? It was when it wasn't up, when he finally got it, right? The child died.
And it tells us that David's advisors were afraid to tell him. They saw him, he, David saw them whispering and, and he realized what had happened and he asked, is the child dead? And they replied, yes, the child is dead. And, and so they were afraid, they didn't know what drastic things he would do because here he had been on his face seven days without eating, praying and crying and, and reaching out toward God that he would save that child. But the child is dead. Look what David does. Verse 19. Verse 20, I'm sorry. And David got up from the ground. He washed himself. He put on lotions. He changed his clothes. And he went into the temple or the tabernacle and he worshiped. Wow. He lays aside all of the, the signs, so to speak, of his mourning. Now, I don't think that was necessarily what was inside because the loss of someone takes a very long time and in many cases to deal with. But outwardly, he portrayed what actually uh, Ezekiel was told to portray when his wife died. If you were in the scripture, the Lord said to him, I'm going to take your wife. Don't you cry. This is judgment against the people. Don't you cry. This is a situation that's happened. And there again is an innocent person to teach a principle. And it says that, uh, that he got up put on some good aftershave, clean clothes. And he went and he worshiped God. It says that he resigned himself to the will of God. It's hard to do sometimes, isn't it? Facing situations. Lord, I don't know how you can be in this. I don't know why this is allowed to happen. Lord, I've been sorry for the thing I've done. Can't you fix this somehow? Can't you take it away? He chose not to. Acceptance of the will of God is what he wants us all to come to. Whatever, Lord. Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. That when I've come through this situation that I'm dealing with, I will come forth how? As pure gold. What happens in the process of getting pure gold, there is heat applied to that material so that all the dross comes to the top and you begin to skim it off and it happens over and over again and you finally know when the gold is pure when you can look into that pot and see the reflection of yourself. And the Lord is looking into our lives and he's 
taking off the dross, the things that are, are not pleasing to him, and he's waiting and looking for the time when he can see the reflection of himself in us through the things that are happening in our lives. Goes on to say, and his advisors were ashamed or were amazed. We don't understand you, it says in verse 21. They told him, while the child was still living, you wept and you refused to eat. And now that the child is dead, you've stopped your mourning and you eat again. Do you know there are onlookers that are watching how you suffer, how you deal with the situations that come into your life? Here were these, these servants, they're watching. I don't understand this. You know, many times people don't understand how we handle some of the things that come to us because it's not normal. I love in the book of Acts, the 16th chapter, where we find that, that Silas and Paul, where are they? They're in the jail, right? They've been beaten for the faith. Their backs are bloody. They're in stocks. And the scripture tells us this. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang unto their God. In the midst of the worst things, they worshipped. They came into the presence of their God in a jail. It's the presence of God that will take us through those hard places. But what I want you to see, and this was so interesting, and the prisoners heard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the prisoners heard. They became, they saw what happened as a result of someone who going through hard places stays in the presence of his God and finds the strength he needs to meet those situations. They watched it. <laughs> and what happened to all their chains? They fell off, didn't they? But they didn't even run out of the jail. They're so amazed by the situation that's happened. And David replied, verse 22, I fasted and wept while the child was alive, for I said, perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live. But why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back? to me. There comes a place where you know you can't change the situation. But now that it's happened, where are we going from there? And he begins to explain his conduct by those statements. He is secure in his understanding that I know God will not hurt me needlessly nor will he waste my pain. Proverbs 51.4 says, you will be proved right in what you say and your judgments against me are just. And in verse 66, 68 it says, you, and this is from uh, Psalm 119, you are good and do good Teach me your statutes. What do we say? God is good. Amen. What do you say back? All the time, God is good. But do we believe that? Yes. You see? 
goes on to say that he told us why he could do this. Why now he could get up and eat. Why now he could go and worship. He says, I will go to him one day, but he will not return to me. He was persuaded that this wasn't all there was. And you know, sometimes we look at situations where we see people die young, and we say, oh, what a waste. But I look at that and I think, why do we consider that such a waste? Because it's what we're losing, right? It's what we're losing. Because to be absent from this body, when we know the Lord is to be present with him. And so what was, you know, Job talks about, I wish I would have died in my mother's womb. I wouldn't have to put up with all this that's happened. Sometimes dying early is a blessing. I just lost a cousin and he ended up having a, a brain bleed. And when I talked with his wife, she said, this was God's mercy because there were so many other things that were wrong that would have been excruciating in his, his pain. And God in his mercy took him through this. Can we look at the situations that come to us and say, what could God be doing? What could he be sparing from by some of the things that happen in our lives? And then it says, and David comforted Bathsheba, and notice what it says, his wife. You get things right in your marriage, God will fix it. Right? Now, I want you to know that this last portion, whenever, for instance, sometimes when we read the scripture, the, the author will will be giving us certain things one on top of another that didn't happen one on top of another. There were spaces of time between, okay? It, it goes on to say that he slept with her and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son and they named him Solomon and the Lord loved the child and sent, um, and sent word through uh, Nathan the prophet that they should name him Jedidiah, which means beloved of the Lord and the, as the Lord had commanded. Now, if you go to other places in the scripture, you find out that Solomon is actually the fourth child that comes to David through Bathsheba. When we look at the book of Acts, have you ever been to a mountain range? And you look at that mountain range, it looks like one is right on top of another. But if you actually drive through that range, you find there's distances and there's time. I believe there was distances in time here by what is being said. But what it's really saying is God will make up for any of the hurts that we've had and any of the failures in our life, he will come to a place where, what does he do? He sends a child into their lives. And it wasn't the first one, because that one died. And it wasn't the second one. And the third one, do you know what they named him? Nathan. Isn't that interesting? 
And do you know that it was through that third son that Mary's genealogy is taken? Very interesting. And after they got to Nathan, then God allowed Solomon to be born. There's a process in our life of being able to give over to God and to, though we may not understand at the time, he's still working, isn't he? Didn't we sing that this morning? Even when we don't see it, he's working. There is a stunning picture that we see in this particular portion as well. It's a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. Was he the innocent son of God? Was he without sin? And yet he took upon us because of his death, we have life just like because of David's son's death, him taking that penalty, David was allowed to live. Because God knew how much David could affect the people that he yet had to deal with, that that child would never have been able to. And in his mercy, he allowed the penalty for that sin to come upon him. He didn't, he didn't put the sin upon him, but the penalty, so that David could live and God could use him. What a tremendous story, huh? And it makes us come to a place. Are we able to give to the Lord the things that happen to us? And to be at a place where we really fast in the factor that, Lord, I'm not asking to twist your arm to make you do what I want you to do, but I'm coming before you to have you work in my life, to get me so I can hear your voice, and so that I can be able that even if you say no to the thing that I want, you'll give me what I need to go on with that. Can we? Trust God's integrity enough to have that in our hearts. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.